Well, it is uh, good to see all of you again as uh, life for the Brandons, having been back from sabbatical, begins to get some, uh, some normalcy, uh, as much as masks and everything is normal, we will we'll see. Um, just want to welcome you. Also, welcome those on Facebook. Um, when I was in high school, a senior in high school, we had a uh, foreign exchange student uh, stay with us. His name was Oscar, Oscar Gomez. And uh, he then went off back to Colombia, where he is, and he's been watching our services online. Uh, so greetings, Oscar, and uh, your daughter, who's joining us today as well. I guess he's been joining, he kind of makes her, I'm not sure what that means, but that's what you told me last night, so welcome. Also super glad that we finished reading uh, the book of Acts just in time, and uh, that's been quite the uh, adventure over the, the past months, and so today we come to dive in to the book of Acts. So if you will, take your Bibles and open them. Uh, to the book of Acts today, we're going to begin. Um, we're, we're going to begin our exposition of this book. I've been reading this and rereading it, and uh, I've done my chapter summaries, which I encourage you to do. I spoke about last week. You might want to have a piece of paper and just write down about Acts chapter 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, down to 28, and just start filling that in, maybe bring that to church, uh, put it in your Bible, maybe just a half sheet, and kind of work through how you can summarize Acts in the most simplest, small way as possible, and uh, they even start working on, uh, on memorizing some of those chapters to get an understanding of what, what is in there. That'd be good. I've been doing that. I have uh, memorized large chunks of the book of Acts, uh, particularly some of the sermons in Acts. I've been really working on them. Um, excited to get started. This morning, it's going to be like an overview of the entire book. I want to present themes. I want to present the, the core lessons for us um, that come out of this book. And next week, we'll start really chapter 1 and verse 1, and we'll find out about Theophilus. And we'll find out a little bit about Luke. And uh, we'll just dig in here talking about John. But, but that's next week. And this week, though, is really a, an overview. And uh, my message this morning is entitled, Be My Witnesses. Uh, this is going to become very familiar to you, as uh, other teaching slides have been. This will be up for the next uh, year or two, or however long we are in Acts, um, because this is the great application of the book. Uh, you know, when we when we studied through Proverbs, there was an application of the book. Do you remember what Proverbs was? It was get wisdom, right? Get wisdom. Proverbs chapter four. Uh, the most important thing in wisdom is this: is to get wisdom and. Uh, Romans, eager to preach the gospel, because that's what Paul was. And here in Acts, we see this idea about being a witness. And uh, this is our, our application, is to, to be a witness. And Jesus is speaking to us and saying, be my witnesses. Um, in fact, the book of Acts really tells the story of those who knew Jesus on earth, saw him resurrected from the dead, saw him alive, interacted with him, talked with him, ate with him, touched him. And the book of Acts then is about these people then going forth and being witnesses to other people about what they saw and heard. That's really how simple the church started. Is it particularly the, the resurrection? And that's why in our slide up here we have the, the resurrection there kind of in the forefront of, of seeing that. And so often if you look through Acts, I preached a message Easter maybe 10 or 12 years ago, I can't remember, but uh, the resurrection in Acts. 
And so how often that theme comes up just over and over, because all they're doing is saying we saw Jesus alive and, and, we, and we really did. And then interpreted his uh, his resurrection in light of scripture and proclaimed that and spoke about it. But basically he was being a, a witness, even when the religious authorities told the apostles not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. Acts chapter four, verse 20 says this. We cannot but speak of what we have seen and heard. We cannot help but to to speak of what we've seen and heard. And that's the whole idea of the book of Acts, is that we need to be witnesses. We need to speak forth of what we've seen and heard and experienced. And and this is the essence of what being a witness is. When we hear the the word witness, right, we're often drawn into the courtroom where uh, those who were witness to a crime are, are called in and the the bailiff approaches them and asks them to raise their right hand and, and asks them, do you promise to tell the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth? And the witness says, I do. And then she's under oath, he or she's under oath, obliga- obliged to tell the truth. They, they sit down then in the, the witness stand and they're interrogated and asked by the lawyer these questions so as to bring out the truth of what exactly happened, what it is that they saw and heard. And that's what we need to do with the book of Acts. Paul, Jesus really is telling us to be my witnesses. The Lord is calling all of us who know and trust the Lord Jesus to speak up and tell others what we've experienced. In fact, I almost entitled the book of Acts, Speak Up, because that's what it's about. And yet, be my witnesses, you'll see later, is more of a biblical phrase. It comes right from the book of Acts and uh, um, so I thought maybe we'll, we'll keep that. But it, it just speak up, right? When, when people are interacting or you're interacting with them, speak up. And it may be that they ask you a question. They, they see your, your, your joy. Uh, we were praying in prayer meeting today about the, you shall know the truth, the truth shall set you free. And there's, there's so much mistruth today uh, about COVID going out there and politics going out there. But, but what we can know the truth and the truth sets us free. We can walk as free people. And it may be that people are intrigued with that. And Peter said in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15, always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. How is it that you live differently, particularly at these times? You're, you have a stableness. You have a steadiness. How, how, how are you different in that? And then the response ought to come. You just ought to be a witness of Jesus, what you've believed in and trusted in and known and experienced. I think one of the best illustrations of this in the Bible is not in the book of Acts, but it's in John chapter 9, when uh, the, the, Jesus healed this man who was blind. And uh, then he was, he was blind, and then he saw, and the Pharisees brought him before them. And, and they said, how is it that you uh, received your sight? And, and this, this guy, hardly knowing anything, didn't even know who Jesus was, he said, well, this man, he put mud on my eyes, and I washed, and I see. And, and then... And then he went out, and then they brought him in again. And they just said, how is it that you see? Like, like, what is this that's in you? And he was just being a witness of Jesus, even though he didn't know hardly anything at all. They said, okay, give glory to God. We know this man's a sinner. And this man who was blind, and now he saw, said, whether he's a sinner or not, I do not know. But one thing I know is that I was blind, and now I see. And, and, and that's what this man was, was witnessing about it, Telling those who questioned him, just his experiences. I, I once was blind, I couldn't see. My eyes were open, but I couldn't register. And, and then this guy came along, I don't even know who he was. He put mud on my eyes. And when I washed, I could see. That's all I know. And he just put forth his witness, his testimony of all that he knew. 
And that's what the books of Acts, the book of Acts really can call us to do. It's going to call us to just tell others of what we've experienced. Not, not, not necessarily even deep theology or, or whatever, or answering all their objections, but just simply telling of your experience. Right? When, when, when others, you know, may, maybe ask or your conversations or, and I remember, um, and, you know, I, I, I reach out to the pool, the pool area players here in Rockford, and I remember playing pool with someone, and, and he just said, Steve, what, 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 what caused you to go into the ministry? And so like, ding, 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 right? And I just told my story. And, and people might ask you, why do you go to that church? Why every week do you go? And, and you might be able to say something like, well, you know what, I was lost and walking my sin. But I heard about Jesus, believed his message upon the cross to cancel my sin, and I, and I believed, and I, I understood, experienced forgiveness. Things changed. I started having new desires I'd never had before. I started hating my sin. The, the Bible came alive, and I started reading it and loving it. And I find church to be one of the most pleasant places, favorite places to be. And Jesus did it all. I'm thankful to what God is working in my life. you have any more questions? Are you interested in spiritual things? Right? Just your experience to be able to, to spit that out and be ready with that, to be a witness. And Jesus is calling us to be my witnesses. And over and over and over again, you see that in the book of Acts. In fact, that's the, the theme of the book. And what I want to do now is just, just walk through the book of Acts and just show you how many times this is, this is just what's happening. Um, maybe questions asked, circumstances around, and people are just telling of their experiences just telling of, of what they have seen and heard. Um, and so I just encourage you, you got your book of Acts. We're just going to go kind of straight through. You can turn to Acts chapter 2. It's the day of Pentecost. Jews come around, have come from all around the world to worship in Jerusalem. The Holy Spirit descends. People are given the gift of tongues, that is, speaking specific languages they'd never studied before. And people were amazed. In verse 12, they said, What does this mean? And Peter basically stood up, answered their questions. He says, uh, This is the power of Jesus who was crucified, raised from the dead, seat at the right hand of God, and Jesus is the one who poured out the Holy Spirit that you see in here. And then in verse 36, the conclusion. Let all the house of Israel therefore know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. And, and at this point, having heard Jesus, having heard Peter just talk about what he experienced with Jesus and interpreting the scripture in light of Jesus, they said then, well, what should we do in verse 37? In verse 38, he said, repent and be baptized. Every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of sins. And 3,000 people were baptized. They believed and were baptized that day simply because Peter was being a witness. A little later, Acts chapter 4, Peter and John healed this lame man. Religious leaders called, called them in their council and said, verse 7, By what power, by what name did you do this? And Peter was filled with the Holy Spirit, and he bore witness to them. In chapter 4, verse 10, he says this, Let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified whom God raised from the dead, by him this man is standing before you well. This Jesus is the stone that was rejected by you, the builders, which has become the cornerstone. There's salvation in no one else. For there's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's simply saying this. It's by the, the name of Jesus that this man raised. And in fact, even you can look back into chapter 3 when he, he says, I don't have silver and gold, but in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I command you to rise up and walk. 
It was clearly Jesus who gave the man the power. They asked, who gave you the power? And they just witnessed to Jesus. Well, who was this Jesus? He's the one that you crucified, whom God raised from the dead. He was the stone that was rejected. He's the one that salvation comes through. And and by this time, you had 5,000 people in Jerusalem um, believing and trusting in the Lord simply by Peter responding to people's questions and then speaking forth his witness to them. And the book of Acts is going to call us really to do the same. That's right. It's the application. Be my witnesses. When situations arise, when you talk about Jesus, simply open your mouth and speak up. Tell others of just what you've experienced, how you've believed in the sacrifice of Christ upon the cross for your sins, how you've turned from your sins, how you've known forgiveness, and, and, and maybe even just what you learn from him, walking day by day, what you've learned in the scripture, that morning reading perhaps, just, just telling people what, what you learn and what you know, what you observe from Jesus. That's what Acts is calling us to do. And there are times when it's costly, especially when you have to confront someone in their sin, because nobody likes to be told what's wrong in their life and what they need to turn from, because we all love our sin, and we don't like it when people tell us what's, what's wrong. And that's what Stephen did when he bore witness of Jesus. His story is told in Acts chapter 7, so you can turn over there. He was accused of speaking against the temple and the law, and the, the high priest asked him, right, if you're speaking against Moses and speaking against the law, are these things so? Chapter 7, verse 1, and Stephen stood up, spoke about how rebellious had all, Israel had always been down through the history of, of Israel, and now the current generation is no different. Chapter 7, and verse 52, he says, um, which of the prophets did your fathers not persecute? And they killed those who announced beforehand the coming of the righteous one whom you've now betrayed and murdered. When he confronted them with their sin, uh, they did not like it. And they stoned Stephen to death. And it may cost you friendships sometimes. If you make Jesus an issue or you bear witness to Jesus, oh, you're one of those people, and you will be cut off from people because of that. But Jesus isn't telling you to be friends with everybody. He's telling you to be a witness to people. Tell them what's true. But as a result of Stephen's death, the church was scattered throughout the world, right? And wherever people went, they were just witnesses for Jesus. So like, like for instance, in Acts chapter 8, we read of this, this eunuch from Ethiopia in verse 27. He said that he had, he had come to Jerusalem to worship. So somehow this, this man had a, a religious bent or desire to see Israel or the temple or something. And he came to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was in this chariot reading Isaiah 53, as it says in verse 32 and 33. Like a sheep he was led to slaughter, like a lamb before its shears is silent, so he opens not his mouth. In his humiliation, justice was denied him. Who can describe his generation? For his life is taken away from the earth. And Philip, called by the Holy Spirit to go down to Gaza, went down there, saw this eunuch in the chariot, saw him reading the scriptures, and asked him, right, do you understand what you're reading? And the eunuch said, how can I, unless someone guides me? And then verse 34, about whom I ask you, does the prophet say this, about himself or about someone else? There's a great opening, right? He's just curious about the scripture, and Philip's kind of pressing into that situation, and he pushes it and says, what is it? And then beginning with the Scriptures, chapter 8, verse 35, he told him the good news about Jesus. Some translations say he preached Jesus to him. He, just, he was a witness about Jesus. And, and the Ethiopian then believed, was baptized, and continued his journey home to Ethiopia, bringing the gospel with him. 
There was being a witness. Someone's going on to Ethiopia, believes, and he goes down south and back home to where he was. And these are the sorts of opportunities that we see throughout the book of Acts. The apostles find themselves in situations where people are interested in spiritual matters. They stir up conversations. They talk with people, and they bear witness about Jesus. And going through the book of Acts, this is really my hope, and and my prayer is that we might do the same, really having our antennas up and alert to circumstances surrounding us, and be quick then to bear witness what we've seen and heard and learn about Jesus. And so if opportunity arises, that through the book of Acts and through, through just thinking about this often, that we will be ready to speak Because in Acts, it happens over and over and over again. And as we go through chapter by chapter through the book of Acts, we're going to see time and time again the the apostles just bearing witness to Jesus and then the Holy Spirit using that and transforming the world. Well, Acts chapter 13. Paul and Barnabas sent out the church on their first missionary journey. They, They find themselves in a synagogue on the Sabbath in Antioch in Pisidia. And in chapter 13, verse 15, there's after the reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So here we're like, like visiting people from out, they're coming into the church. Oh, you're a visitor. Do you have anything to say? Say it. And they're given an opportunity and they stood up and Paul began motioning with his hand, address them and talked all about Jesus. I mean, you can read the whole the whole sermon he's got there, how Jesus lived in Jerusalem and how he was condemned to death by the rulers in Jerusalem. And they delivered him over to Pilate who condemned him to crucifixion. But God raised him from the dead, just like the Old Testament had promised. And now, chapter 13 and verse 38, Paul says, Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that through this man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. And by him, everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed from the law of Moses. There's talking about Jesus and then interpreting his life and offering forgiveness through faith and trust in him. Uh, Later in Acts chapter 16, this is a famous story we know. He's in Philippi. Preaching had landed him in prison. So he was there with his traveling companion Silas. And they were singing hymns and and praying. And there's an earthquake and and everyone's... um, Bonds were unfastened, and the doors were opened, and the prisoners, rather than running for freedom, stayed there, and the jailer was astonished. He called for lights, rushed in, as verse 29 says, and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas, and then he asked that question, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Paul said, verse 31, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and you will be saved, you and your household. And jailer and his household believed, and a church was planted in Philippi. Acts chapter 17, when Paul was in Athens, the intellectual elite heard that Paul was in the city preaching about something, and they they called him to the Areopagus, and they they asked him in verse 19, they said, may we know this new teaching you're presenting? And so Paul, given an opportunity, he just bears witness of Jesus, right? Particularly, it bears witness of God, God's creative power, self-sufficiency, and then he ends with this word about Jesus and the resurrection. He says that God has fixed today, verse 31, which he'll judge the world in righteousness by a man whom he's appointed. And of this, he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. And they said, oh, you're talking about the resurrection? Ah, hogwash, that's bad. But some believed, and some were persuaded by Paul's testimony. But Acts isn't so much interested, well, it is, but it's more interested about the witness that the apostles put forth and how, how people believed, rather, rather than necessarily trying to persuade. I mean, he was trying to persuade them, 
But just with the fact that they were witnesses and God was drawing people believing and then following and the church was growing. But there are plenty of people who rejected. But, but God never scolds Paul or Peter. Oh, they rejected the gospel. You preached it wrong. It's, no, no. We just need to be witnesses and trust the results to God. But eventually Paul was arrested in Acts 21. He was arrested in the temple. But catch this. In the process of being arrested and taken away, he pleaded with the officer who was arresting him. Acts 21 and verse 39. Look what he says there. He, he said, I beg you, permit me to speak to the people. He, he, here he was being dragged away to prison, and he said, he understands the confusion, and so he stands up and he speaks to the people. And what does he do? Chapter 22, he speaks about how he, he was on his road to Damascus persecuting Christians. He was blinded by this light from heaven. And Jesus spoke to him, telling him to remain in Damascus. And then he would be told what was appointed for him to do. And then he would be told through this man, Ananias, who came and said this in verse 44. This is Ananias' words to Paul. He said this, Acts 22 and verse 44. The God of our fathers appointed you to know his will and to see the righteous one and to hear a voice from his mouth. For you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you have seen and heard. Right there, Paul's conviction, conversion. He was said... Verse 15, you will be a witness for him to everyone of what you've seen and heard. And that's what Paul did. He was a witness to everyone of what he had seen and heard. He was imprisoned in uh, Jerusalem for his own safety. He went to Caesarea. It's another story we'll, we'll look at uh, in, in the future. But when he was in Caesarea, he, he testified before three different governors of Jesus in chapter 24, it tells of his witnessing to Felix. And chapter 25, tells of his witnessing to Festus. And chapter 6, tells of his witnessing to Agrippa. In fact, if you read 26 and compare it to chapter 22, much of it's the same. It's just, I was on the road to Damascus. I was persecuting Christians. And then this bright light shined, you know, and I saw it. And I was blinded. And I heard this voice. And no one else heard this voice. I was told to go to Damascus. And then someone would tell me what to do. And that's what I did. He just told his testimony Three times. In fact, it's Acts chapter 9 when that happened, and then Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. Paul was a, a witness for Jesus. And that's what the book of Acts calls us to do. And then, and then eventually Paul gets shipped off to Rome, where at the end of the book we find him doing the same thing in terms of just giving witness to people. As it says in the very last verse, he lived there two whole years, his own expense, welcoming all who came to him proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness, without hindrance. He, he wasn't even going out. He was, he was just sitting there because he was under house arrest. People were coming to him, and he's just telling them about Jesus, just being a witness there. And then we read, I think it's in Philippians, about how the whole Praetorian Guard have heard the gospel because of his imprisonment. That, that means that when Paul was in imprisonment, not, not only just to these kings, but he was to the whole, everyone who was guarding him, all his police officers who were around him, all the soldiers who were around him, He's just bearing witness about Jesus. And that's what the book of Acts really calls us to do. And really, isn't this enjoying His grace and extending His glory? Like, like Paul enjoyed the grace of God, understood the grace of God. We understand all that Jesus has done for us, and then we extend His glory simply by telling others of uh, what we've experienced. As we follow the, the way of Jesus to be my witness. So now, let's go back to the book of, of Acts chapter 1. The, this word about be my witness, I get right from Acts chapter 1 and verse 8. It's a key book in the verse of Acts. That's why my message this morning, though it's an overview, 
It's really derived right here from chapter 1 and verse 8. We've seen the theme right there in the middle. Let me just read it for you. But you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in Judea and in Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now, I, I trust that you can see it there, right in the middle of the, of the verse. It says, be my witnesses. Right? It's even highlighted there in the red, right? Right in the middle there it says, be my witnesses that we've looked at so far, right? We've looked at the theme of the book of Acts. It, it's just right there. Now, to be noted here in chapter 1 and verse 8, Jesus isn't commanding his disciples to be witnesses. Rather, he's telling them that they will be witnesses. He's sort of stating a fact of what will happen. He, he says to those in Jerusalem, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you and you'll be empowered to be my witnesses. But as we've seen from the book of Acts, how many times people are witnesses, this is the natural application that really comes to us. Be my witnesses. That's why I took the wording from this theme Rather than speak up, because it's right here. You will be my witnesses. Jesus' words are better than my words of what I do. But Acts chapter 1, verse 8. This verse, I commend it to your memorization. Right? In your Bibles, draw a box around this. Put stars on it. Because this is like the outline and the theme and the, the key to the book of Acts. It's just all right here in this verse. The, the theme is there in Acts chapter 1 and uh, verse 8. But notice... Um, there's also some geographical markers that help give us a clue as to what's happening in the book of Acts. Uh, first, we see Jerusalem there, and then we see Judea, and then we see Samaria, and, and then finally we see the end of the earth. Now, some of you know where these locations are, and, and some of you don't, but I, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to help you out. I have a, a map here, and this is the map of uh, sort of the Israel region has kind of zoomed in uh, pretty close. If you look in, in this map, you see Jerusalem just right there, the center of the religious world where the temple was, where Jesus visited often and taught on many occasions. It's where Jesus was crucified and, and where the story of the book of Acts begins, the disciples there in Jerusalem. And, and then you see in the map also there is uh, Judea. This is the region surrounding Jerusalem, but also having to do a little bit with the, the south, where the Jewish culture of the day was most prominent, where Jews had most influence. All the good kings came there from Judea. And then, if you keep going, the north then is Samaria. This is a region a, a little bit north of Judea. There might be even a little bit of an overlap there, if you will. This is where the Samaritans lived. They were hated by the Jews because they intermarried with the Assyrians when the Assyrians conquered them. And so they're viewed as outsiders and betrayers to the covenant. In this map also, you see the ends of the earth, right? You, you see it there, just the ends of the earth. That, of course, is everything beyond this map into Rockford. And uh, this is what I call um, the, the theme, but we've also got the spread. This is the spread of the gospel. When Jesus told them that they will be my witnesses, he told them where they would go. They, they would start there in Jerusalem. And then the, the neighboring communities, right? There'd be some south in Judea and close in the north in Samaria. So kind of, you can picture it's these concentric circles going out. And then it just goes out and out and out and out beyond that. And, and if you take the book of Acts, this is the outline of the book of Acts. Jerusalem, Judea and Samaria to the remotest parts of the earth. The first seven chapters deal with Jerusalem <clears throat> for over three years. 
These seven chapters deal with what took place in, in Jerusalem as they're dealing with thousands of people that came to faith in Jesus. But when Stephen was martyred, it wasn't safe to be in Jerusalem. And many scattered from the city. And you know where they scattered? They scattered to Samaria and they scattered to Judea. In fact, if you read in Acts chapter 8, you can read about Philip when he was up in the north in Samaria. Acts chapter 8 and verse 12 says that um, the people there believed Philip as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ. And they were baptized, both men and women. And the apostles from Jerusalem came down the mountain then into Samaria to pray for the Samaritans. And then in chapter 8, Philip goes south into the Judean area. That's where he met the the eunuch who believed and took the gospel then to Ethiopia. In in chapter 10, it even spreads out a little bit more. About chapter 10, you've got Peter taking the the gospel of Cornelius in Caesarea. And if you know right where to look, right above the word Caesarea, Samaria, there's Caesarea. It's starting to get outside of the bounds of Samaria. And then in Acts chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas, uh, in Acts chapter 11, right, the gospel spreads to Antioch, where in chapter 13, Paul and Barnabas are sent out on their missionary journey. They go to Asia Minor, which is in the north, which is way outside of the scope of this map. But they, they, they went there, and then they returned home to Antioch. After a bit of time, they, they went not only Asia Minor in the north, but they also went then to Macedonia and to Greece. And then Paul comes back and he heads out a third time on his third missionary journey, bringing the gospel to the ends of, of the earth. In fact, Acts is really quite a thrilling book as see the gospel spread throughout the world, making its impact. So much so that those in Thessalonica, when Paul came to their town, they, they like complained uh, about, about these people and said, these are the ones who are turning the world upside down. Right? They're just changing and transforming the world and they've come to us in Thessalonica. Because the effect upon people and its culture was just having its way. People are believing in Jesus. They're turning from their idols and establishing churches. And so much so even that economics was being depressed in some towns. You can read about that in, in Acts chapter 19. The church at Ephesus. Right? That's the, where the big temple uh, was to Artemis. Right? And, and they were burning all their books. Right? Turning away from their idols and turning from that. And the, the idol makers were all getting concerned because they're going to lose their livelihood because of the power of the gospel was turning the world upside down. But that's what happened in the early days of the church. And by the end of the book of Acts, you have churches established all over the world. So much so that Paul said this, Romans 8, 1 verse 8, your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Now, I found this, this graph here uh, just on the Internet. I, I looked, and uh, by the end of the book of Acts, this just mentions all the, the churches in the book of Acts, where they are, and also mentions regions of churches as well. So just talk, think about how, how much the church had traveled in about 40 years all around uh, the European region there and all around from Israel, all from that little spot right there, the churches of Judea, from their... Things started just spreading out and moving on. Acts is a, a high-impact book. Um, and, and by the end of Acts, we saw in Acts chapter 28, Paul is just there in Rome preaching the gospel with openness unhindered. And, and the book sort of just ends there. Um, it kind of leaves us hanging a little bit. There's no nice resolution like uh, Paul made it to Spain. If you read the book of Romans, he, he wanted to go to Rome and then he wanted to go on to Spain. No, no idea whether he got there or not. He's a political prisoner, probably died there, but Luke doesn't mention that. Leaves him alive, just kind of preaching and opening it. And uh, we don't really know what happens. And, and I think that's divine, um, divine reason by the Holy Spirit, just to kind of leave it hanging. 
Because it, it is a story still yet to be told. And, and after a few hundred years, here's another map that I found. That you have the, the church is spreading. This is by the time of 325 A.D. Uh, just all over uh, Europe there and northern Africa and just expanding and churches going and booming. And of course, today the church is all over the globe. Uh, there's a missions church planning organization um, that picks up on this idea about how we're still writing the book of Acts. It's called Acts 29. I know several pastors personally are in this network who are about the work of planting churches. And, and I, I love their heart. Their, the work continues on. Carissa uh, is at church in Bloomington uh, at an Acts 29 church plant that was planted maybe 10 years ago or so. Uh, Dave DeHaan, who preached here about a month ago, is involved in an Acts 29 uh, church in St. Charles. I think it's called Redeemer. Um, when Yvonne and I were visited Carissa in London, uh, we were there. She was uh, student teaching over there, and before we went to India on a mission trip, we stopped by and spent a few days with her in London. We went to church. We went to an Acts 29 church in London. Right? They're all over the world preaching the gospel, planting churches, but the, the name Acts 29 is this whole idea that Acts ends sort of like hanging, but we are in Acts 29. We're writing Acts 29 today. It may never get inscripturated, but stories will be told in eternity about what things we've done through our witnessing and how people have come to Christ, even in Colombia. You never know. You never know. Well, as we think about our own activity and being a witness, these geographical categories are helpful to think through. Think about Jerusalem, city filled with people, lots of people nearby, homogenous, lots of people the same culturally. Judea in the south, a little bit further away, little towns and villages, um, maybe takes some more effort to get there, but still pretty homogenous. Samaria is still away, but the Samaritans totally different. They were half-breeds, totally different culture from the Jews. To, to reach the Jews, to reach the people in Samaria, you had to do some cross-cultural ministry. It's close, close by cross-cultural ministry. And then the ends of the earth, these are people far away. Different culture, lots of effort, great travel, great cultural sensitivity needed. And, and I just encourage you, as you even think about your witnessing opportunities, you've got your Jerusalem, and you have your Judea, and you have your Samaria, and you have your ends of the earth. Your Jerusalem... Maybe it's your neighbors next door. Maybe it's your coworkers. Maybe it's those you mix with at the gym, if you ever can get back to the gym. Or maybe kids attend same school or involved in some activities together. Those are Jerusalem. Those are the people nearby you that you see often. Jesus says, "Be my witnesses to your Jerusalem, your Judea." These are people who aren't maybe so far away. But you don't see them very often, but they're easily within reach, and they're in your culture, and you mix them, mix with them. Maybe you see them once a year at some kind of annual company picnic. You see them, right? They're kind of far away, but they're still in your, church, in your work culture, if you will. That's your Judea, and Jesus tells you to be my witnesses in your Judea. Or, or maybe Samaria, those who, who aren't so far away, and maybe you're not even part of your, your culture. Maybe these are people on the other side of the town who are divided against us racially. Right? Maybe, maybe different racially is what he's getting at here. Maybe these are foreign folks immigrated to the United States. Maybe they live in your neighborhood, like, like the Indian folks who walk around um, our neighborhood. 
Acts calls us to be my witnesses, to cross those cultural divides, to people who are close by but maybe from a different culture. And it means being sensitive to that and being wise to that. But there are people also in your ends of the earth, far away, in a different culture. It's hard to get. Much effort is required. And that's what missions is about. That's what the ends of the earth is about. In fact, it's interesting, though. It doesn't mean you have to go every place in the world because we can't accomplish that. This, this whole map of, of uh, Christianity, I mean, this was 300 years, and they're just getting it into Europe all over. Right? You don't, it takes a long time. But we might have your uh, far distant lands, right, supporting people as the early church did. Those who went, Paul and Barnabas, Timothy, Silas, Luke, uh, Titus, there were several, but there weren't a lot. There's several who were supported and sent and had gone out. And if, if we aren't going today, we can go. Short-term trips are easy, right, sort of. But we certainly send and support the effort to bring in the gospel to far distant lands. In fact, that's the heart behind this teaching slide. If you look here, we got the resurrection up close, right? Seeing that, and then we got little villages, and then if you keep going, we've got cities. And I was talking to Cyrus; he made this slide just about the disconnect between the resurrection and the cities. But that's the idea: is we're we're going, and then there's even a there's a road going out there, and then there's a far distant city there under the word W, like it's way out there. And then the horizon just kind of there's what's what's beyond the mountains? We don't we don't even know. And the idea of that is that just just go out where you are, be a witness where you are, be a witness where you travel, be a witness where you go. But realize there's lots of work to be done. I mean, this is our task. This is what Acts calls us to, is worldwide evangelism. It's a huge task. In fact, it's an impossible task apart from the power of God. And this is my, my third point. We've seen the theme. We've seen the spread. And finally, now we come to the power. The power to accomplish this task is right here in Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Okay, which you kids can see the power? Acts chapter 1, verse 8. Where does the power come from? It comes from... Maybe you big kids. Where's it come from? The Holy Spirit, right? But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and Judea and to the ends of the earth. Right there is where the, <clears throat> the power lies. It lies not with us. It lies with the Holy Spirit. You know, and, and when you look at your Bible, it's very interesting. You look at the title of your book, Acts what does it say? It says the Acts of the Apostles, right? And uh, many theologians and many pastors have spoken about how sort of a misleading title. Because the Apostles we're talking about, it, they're listed in chapter 1, but after that, they're hardly listed at all, except for a couple. Peter's listed, and he's about the first half of John, uh, of, of Acts. John is a, is a little bit, and then Paul. But really, that's about all it is. A better title would be the Acts of Peter and Paul. But even that misses a little bit because Acts records the work that God did in establishing His church. And it's a great work is only accomplished through the power of the Holy Spirit. And many theologians and pastors have said Acts should rightly be entitled the Acts of the Holy Spirit. Uh, some 50 times the Holy Spirit's mentioned in the book of Acts. And I just encourage you as, you, as you read through the book of Acts in these next months and years even, or, or listen, right? Just listen for the Holy Spirit. 
because it is often in the book of Acts. You might even go through the book of Acts and circle every time you see the, the Holy Spirit mentioned. Anytime you, you see the Spirit, and it talks sometimes about human spirits. I'm not talking about that. But when it talks about the Spirit of God, you just circle it. And you'll be amazed at how many times the prominence of the Spirit is there. We, we, we can't visit all 50 references today, but I can kind of summarize them for you. We, we see the Holy Spirit in Acts chapter 2 descending upon Jerusalem stirring, giving this gift of tongues to all these people, and then as all these people start speaking, it gives opportunity for the gospel. The, the Holy Spirit comes upon those in Caesarea in Acts 10 and upon Ephesus, giving them the, the ability to speak another language, like confirming that the Holy Spirit is coming and blessing these people as they believe. That's what the Holy Spirit does. We see the Holy Spirit empowering people and filling people We see Stephen and Peter and Paul empowered by the Holy Spirit, like explicitly says that that Peter, Acts chapter 4, verse 8, filled with the Holy Spirit. And Stephen was filled with the Holy Spirit. Paul was filled with the Holy Spirit. And then with that power, then they went forth and preached boldly. We see the Holy Spirit guiding the church, having spoken through the Scriptures several times. It says, the the Scripture says through the Holy Spirit, like the Holy Spirit was, was speaking into the the, the Scripture, right, wrote the Scripture. The Holy Spirit breathed it out. Right? By the way, a force doesn't breathe out Scripture. Right? It has to be a person, right? right? Um, also, we see the, the, the Holy Spirit speaking to people, telling them where to go, telling Philip, go down to Gaza, because there's this guy there who's on this chariot you need to get and talk to him and bring the gospel to him so he believes, or, or telling uh, Paul and Barnabas to set them apart, to send them out for the work I've accomplished them to do. Now, how this is that the Holy Spirit was actually speaking and told them, I don't know. But several times we see the Spirit telling people what to do, where to go, preventing people from going one place, directing Paul to Macedonia. Uh, we see the, the, the Spirit prophesying of future events, of the bonds that awaited uh, Paul. When he went to Jerusalem, we see the Holy Spirit comforting the whole church, Acts chapter 9 and verse 31. And so as we think about Acts, it's call upon our lives to be witnesses of all that we've seen and heard. Let's not think we're doing that on our own. It's not something that we, by our power, are going to do. It's the Spirit that's going to accomplish that task through us. And in fact, that's the explanation for the explosion of these churches uh, in, in the early church, first hundred years, of Christianity in general is a testimony to the power of the Spirit of God. And so the application for us really is simple, right? We've, we want to be witnesses of Jesus. If you want to say, okay, I want to grasp onto Acts. I want Acts to be me. I want to be a, a witness. Then you need to say, okay, I need the power, though, in order to do that. And so it, it calls us to, to plead and pray and beg for the power of the Holy Spirit to do that, right? Does that make sense? Because the only way the theme is going to act out in acts in our lives that we're witnesses and spread abroad is if the power of the Holy Spirit comes upon us and we are spirit-filled to be able to speak with, with other people. And just know this, right? That a sign of a spirit-filled church is a sign of those who are speaking out in the power of the Spirit. Oftentimes people, we'll talk about this more as so we see the Holy Spirit. I remember some folks came to our church and they said, no, we're looking for a more spirit-filled church. <laughs> like, what does that mean? And what they meant was, we want a more exciting church, right? We want more activity and loud and noise and chaos. And I think that the greatest spirit-filled church is a church that's focused on Christ, focused on the gospel, because that's what the Spirit does. He directs people to Jesus. And a church that is speaking to others about 
testifying what God has done in their lives, where they're actively witnessing to people. That's an active role, the power of the Spirit. And the only way that comes is through prayer. I have a good friend of mine who says that evangelism is 90% prayer because it's 90% looking to God to come and give me the power and the boldness and the wisdom and the discernment to know when to speak, and then it's just 10% just speaking to others. So obviously that's not mathematical, right? You know what I mean. But just it, it puts the emphasis upon prayer and evangelism, how this goes. And it's this direct link between the power of God and, uh, and our ability to witness. So let's pray together and let's plead the Holy Spirit would come and empower us. So Holy Spirit, I do pray as we laid out Acts and we saw just how we are called to be witnesses and how you've acted before in the past to bring about worldwide revival just with the the, the gospel going out and so many, many believing and seeing thousands believe in Jerusalem through one sermon and seeing so many people where the gospel, where the, the apostles went, just speaking and seeing people believe and trust. Um, Father, I would pray that your spirit would, would fill us, would embolden us, just merely to say what we have seen and experienced. I pray that our walk with Jesus would be vital and alive, that we'd be reading the Scriptures, that we would have something to tell people of what we've been learning, what Jesus has been teaching us through His Word, through His words of old. Even a, even a simple prayer meeting today, you shall know the truth, the truth will set you free. We're, we're learning about truth, we're, we're learning about Jesus, we're learning about how there is truth. And just being able to say that in this age of confusion and lies and misinformation that help us just to see and discern how it is that we can be a testimony to Jesus who is the truth, who is the life. As Jesus said, I'm the way, the truth, and the life. And transitioning from truth, he's not only the truth, he's the life. He's the way. There's salvation in no one else. There's no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. Help these things, O Lord, to, to come off of our lips, to speak with other people, about the glories of Jesus and the glories of Christ. And so I, I pray even for the next months and years as we're in this book, I'm in no hurry. God, may this stir in us to be a, a more evangelistic church God, than ever before as we seek to actively entrust our lives to the Holy Spirit that it would empower us to speak out and that we would live the theme of the book, that we indeed would be the witnesses of Jesus. In whose name we pray, amen.